With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, it's another Spins and Vecini podcast. Coach Spins from over at the Box and One from the Adam Spinelli YouTube channel. Going strong, by the way. You got to be close to 10K subscribers, right? We're rolling in. Yeah, we're at, I think we're at 12 or 13 now. So we're, we're there it is. Yeah. Absolutely love it. Adam's the best. Adam is here. We're going to break down young cores in the Eastern Conference. Adam came up with this really fun idea where we try and figure out who we think has the best young core in each conference. This podcast, it's going to be the Eastern Conference. Then next Sunday, we're going to talk about the Western Conference young cores. And there are just so many fun teams, so many fun young players in the league. This gives us such a really good opportunity to try and break down some of these incredibly enjoyable young players to watch. Um, you know, teams like Orlando, teams like Cleveland, teams like uh, Detroit, you know, situations that frankly, like a lot of other podcasts don't really talk about all that often. I know that Orlando obviously got a little bit of pub with the number one overall pick this year, but it gives us an opportunity to talk about some of these really fun other situations league wide that I'm excited to chat about spins. What about you? I'm, I'm thrilled to do it here. I think that uh, for me in particular, you know, just finished year five of draft coverage and then doing this really in depth. So all of the guys that are still on, on rookie contracts right now through every year feel like I've scouted. I've seen them at some point throughout the college <laughs> days and like following yeah. them to the NBA. So it's, it's really the first time to see this come full circle and be okay. Like these guys are NBA veterans now and knocking on that door. Now, what is the team construct really looking like around them? Uh, it's it's going to be a really fascinating discussion. So before we get into that, did you at least have a fun weekend? Do you have a nice time? It's Sunday night. You're getting ready to gear up. You have to start doing school stuff again. Everything's rolling. This is one of your last true summer weekends. Did you have a fun one? Yeah, it was good. Uh, you know, the missus and I went to a, a rooftop bar for a little bit during the day. It was finally, yeah, not not too hot to be outside, which I don't know if you're familiar with Baltimore summers, but uh, rather humid. So we, we got a couple good days. We were able to be outside, continuing to set up the house a little bit, uh, you know, dove into some old TV shows that uh, she's seeing for the first time and I'm enjoying watching with her. So uh, we're having a good time. Yeah, that's fantastic, man. Yesterday was such a good sports day over here. It was so good. We had Leon Edwards come through with the knockout. 
of Kamara Usman. Let's go. High kick for just, the win. Oh, my God. Just an unbelievable – just the way that he brought – that left leg behind the jab. Oh, my God. Shout out Leon Edwards. We love Rocky over here on this show. Uh, just a, a weird UFC card other than that. Um, and really, up until that moment in that fight, it was kind of a boring fight, I thought, to be honest. Um, but we're super excited for Leon, Rocky Edwards. Uh, also, just an unbelievable like Australian football day. Uh we had an incredible Carlton versus Collingwood match that was the last game of the season. It had more people at the Melbourne Cricket Ground than any event since 2019. There's like 88,000 people were at this Australian football game because it was like a win or get in for Carlton, who hasn't made the playoffs in ten, or hasn't made finals in 10 years. And they lost on a last minute kick, basically. Uh, after they lost last week on a last minute kick. So they had two final minute opportunities to get into finals and failed. Uh, what a shame. Feel bad for Carlton. Uh, it was just a fun weekend. It was a good weekend. I had a great time. Uh, went to see Nope last night as well. Uh, finally, it was good. Yeah. I liked it a little bit less than Get Out and Us, but even that level of Jordan Peele is just operating at such a higher level than what most other directors are capable of at this point that it's all like I compared it. I wrote on Letterboxd. I compared it to like his signs. People forget that signs was like one of the top 10 biggest movies of the year when M night Shyamalan did that um, back in the early two thousands. And it was like this enormous sensation. And when I say that, like, I don't mean it derogatorily. I mean it as this felt like more of a popcorn movie, more of a fun movie as opposed to like an issues based film that, you know, um, sure. had thriller genre aspects and everything like that. It was really great. I had a really, really great time with Nope. Um, also saw Bullet Train. Oh, which, good. Uh, yeah, good too. I mean, I, I don't know if I'd call it good. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had fun for the yeah. most part. Uh, it's not a good movie. But I had fun at the very <laughs> least. Um, yeah, what a weird. It was a, it was a it was a great weekend. I had a great weekend, Spence. It was it was very nice to get to hang out with Laura, get to go to these movies, get to watch some sports. It was fun. Okay, let's get into basketball though. I want you to give kind of the spiel here because this was for people who want to know at home. Spence's idea to kind of do this in the off season break down some of these teams. I want you to kind of break down what are the criteria that we're looking at here whenever we dive into this. He kind of mentioned um, last four draft classes before, but I, I want to give you the floor to kind of kind of set out the vision here of what we're thinking. Sure. So I think that when we're talking about young, uh, that's always an arbitrary term because different guys come into the draft at different ages. So for me, when I think of young in NBA context, it's just how long have you been in the league? So thinking of guys who were drafted or draft eligible in the last four years, which means as a first rounder, you still be on your rookie scale contract. To me, that's the litmus test that we're looking at for young or inexperienced in that term. Um, and, and talking about young cores, I think we also got to define what a core is. To me, it's the building blocks of a franchise long-term and then the really uh, expected role players are going to fill in the gaps around it. I, I talk a lot 
about team building. And for me, it, it's kind of the three pillars type of theory that any team is looking for. It's three tentpole franchise guys to acquire and to build around. So a lot of times when you have a collection of young talent, it's putting them into one of those two you know, buckets. Are they going to be a franchise pillar that we are able to construct this roster around for the better part of the next decade? Or are they more of a complementary piece that we know we can count on and be part of our rotation, but might not be that tentpole star? So when we discuss these teams today, I think there are a lot of different types of circumstances to dive into. Some are a little bit farther along with the pillars. Others have a great deal of depth with the young talent that they've assembled, but are still looking for those pillars that are uh, either they're absent for their team or they're veterans. So I think the, the really intriguing part about all of this is there are different types of evals and different constructions of, of rosters where the context is important. We can't just have this conversation, for example, with, uh, with a team like, you know, Cleveland without having some mention to how does Colin Sexton potentially factor into this, even though he's no longer meeting the criteria of the players that, that we'll be discussing primarily. Or Orlando is a great example of this as well with Jonathan Isaac, with Wendell Carter, young guys that are definitely a part of their core long-term, but don't really fit within the criteria of what we're talking about necessarily. Um, really interesting idea. I love this so much. And I want you to go first. Uh, the first team that you listed was the Orlando Magic, and I think it's worth starting with the Magic, if only because they had the number one overall pick this year. They have a really interesting group of players to kind of break down just in terms of trying to figure out, like, who are the guys here? Like, who are – who? where does each player fit into the buckets that you kind of pre-prescribed in terms of, you know, is this a foundational piece? Is this just a guy? Is this X, Y, and Z? Like – there are two picks in the 2021 NBA draft, Franz Wagner and Jalen Suggs. Just to take an example, like these two guys kind of flipped, I thought, throughout the course of the year in a pretty substantial way. So, um, again, I'm just going to give you the floor and give you the opportunity to kind of direct this discussion. And then at the end, maybe we'll try and contextualize it all together with all of these teams and try to, you know, come to maybe not an agreement, but just kind of state where we are in terms of who are the teams that we like the most moving forward here. Yeah, of course. And, and I think Orlando was only really listed first because they had the first overall pick. Like you said, the, the newest addition to, uh, to their roster in this context is to, in my opinion, the top guy that was just drafted Paolo Bancaro. Um, you know, when we talk about the three pillars, I think it's worth also noting that not each pillar is always going to be built to the same size or strength, right? Like there are some players that carry a, a heavier burden than others, even though they can be in your focal point of top two or three guys. And to me, Orlando hit a home run just by getting a guy like Bancaro because he can be that number one option offensively. I still think that's what you draft for first and foremost. So when you have the opportunity to add a guy to your roster that does that, take advantage of it. So I love the Bancaro pick there, but that changes the way the other pe the other pieces around them kind of fit in and, and blend together to bring out the best strengths of, of Paolo's game. So the, I'm glad you brought up the kind of flip-flopping of, you know, Suggs and Franz and, and the potential that goes there because I think Franz works off of, of Paolo incredibly well, where when they play the three and the four, yeah. they're both interchangeable a little bit on the offensive end where they can handle 
Franz is great at catching the ball already going downhill and making quick decision make, you know, quick quick decisions. I think Paolo is going to be operating a ton at the elbows, the top of the key, and in isolation areas where you have a need for smart cutters and off-ball floor spacers in a way that Franz can be. And he's proven that, you know, in, in moments when maybe Paolo's not on the floor, he can handle a little bit more of a creation aspect. So yeah. I think that those two mesh incredibly well together. I think the jury's still out on whether Franz is more of a, a guy that's a, a third option and a really high-scoring complementary piece on a good team or if he can really carry being the secondary creator in a playoff series. It's, it's a lot of future conversations to be had because Orlando's not ready for that right now, and these guys have right. growth that needs to go into that. But uh, from a roster construction standpoint, that's what I'm really wondering about long-term. Are these the top two options, or is it more one and three or two B with Franz? Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting because Franz obviously did not play for a good team this year. But when I watched Franz, I was he was almost the guy outside of Scotty and Evan and Cade where I just was like, oh, no, this guy is like tailor made to be on a winner. Uh, and there are a number of reasons why you kind of mentioned it. The thing about Paulo is Paulo is always going to stop the ball a little bit. Uh, that's just kind of who he is. Uh, he passes exceedingly well but he's going to stop and survey. Like it's very rarely going to be like a quick touch pass. Right. Um, In the case of Franz, I'm so glad you brought up the idea of quick decision-making because that's what he is. He's a very, very quick decision-maker that I think is just perfect in terms of being able to play with Paulo and being able to actualize Paulo and being able to play without the ball while still making an impact with the floor spacing, with the cutting, with the ability to put the ball on the deck uh, and make that quick decision off of those. Uh, for instance, like Paulo is going to hit him on kickouts to the corner and he's going to see his man downhill closing out at him. And then Paul, Uh, Franz is just already going to be ready to go. He's already going to be ready to just attack the basket in a pretty substantial way when he needs to. And then he can play off of the pass as well. He's a really, really smart, intuitive passer. So that combination I really love. And you and I have actually weirdly not talked a lot about Paulo uh, in public spaces. And Matt and I were... I don't even, I don't think we were low on Paulo by any stretch, but we both had him. I had him at number three. I think Matt had him at number four. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like Paulo. I loved all three of these top guys. I thought they were all top tier players. It was just like 1A, 1B, 1C for me at the end of the day. Um, but I did have Paulo at three and I stand by that. The mm-hmm. reason was that while I do see your point that Paulo, I think, has the best chance to be the lead initiator of an offense. I worry about defense and efficiency a little bit more with Paulo um, in terms of what the scalability of his role is. W- where are you on Paulo and why, if I remember correctly, did you, did you have him number one? I can't remember. Yeah. Yeah. Numero uno. Yeah. Numero uno. And it came down a lot to the offensive side of the floor. I, I hate qualifying statements. Uh, so I think the issue with him on defense is he's good when he's engaged. As a coach, you hate to hear that because you want a guy who's constantly engaged. You want a guy who's always going to bring that type of consistent effort. But 
I think it also speaks to the capability that he has to continue to grow and get better in those ways. Uh, I also think that role players can be really defensive minded and insulate a star player in a lot of positive ways. So uh, again, I think the the harder thing to do, and you and I have talked about this in, in different contexts before is to find that efficient top level score, right? You can find uh, replacement level scoring is easy to find, but elite level scoring is irreplaceable. So yeah. I, I think Paolo brings that to the table. I'm willing to, to take the lumps of roster construction that come around him. You know, is he a four or a five defensively? What's he best served yeah. doing? Like you can build that structure with the right role players and find those guys. I'd rather have the talent and the scoring and the offensive creation that he brings. Yeah. I think it's just a little bit harder to build that insulation if you have to play him at the five. Um, I think that for him to be successful on defense, it's going to have to be at the four. And he has that ability. I worry a little bit about the foot speed. I worry a little bit about what his frame looks like when he's like 24, 25, as opposed to, you know, where, cause he's already 250 pounds. He's just an enormous dude. He carries it well right now. And, you know, maybe he ends up just continuing to carry it well long term. Wouldn't surprise me at all. But, you know, we're talking just such so on the margins at the end of the day between oh, and, these guys. And you have to you have to come up with like the like I can say the same thing. Like I'm worried about Chet's frame and I'm worried about the fact that Jabari struggles to dribble like I, all of these things are real. And in the case of Paulo, I guess I'm just like. I, I worry that the foot speed stuff and whether or not how the frame ages and everything that concerns me just like a touch more in terms of scaling toward a great winning situation sure. than the other two. And really it comes down to like, would you rather draft the number two guy on a winning team or would you rather draft the number one guy on like a mid tier team? And I, I don't know. Like, honestly, I don't know the answer to that. I think in this draft, I kind of lean toward like the number two on the mid tier team, which might just be a fucking terrible idea to be honest. Um, I, I don't know how smart I feel about that, especially after watching Paulo at summer league. Uh, and after watching him, you know, we've seen him a lot, but just the way his game scaled at summer league, I thought was incredibly impressive. Uh, you know, Matt and I talked about the passing throughout the year and we thought that he was, I thought that his passing was the most underrated skill of any lottery pick in this uh, draft. But yeah, I, I just I don't know. I'm 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 fascinated by the way Paulo's career ends up, and now Orlando has two of these guys where I really love them pre-draft and Paulo. I didn't really love Franz pre-draft. I was just wrong Same. about yeah. Franz um, in every single way. Um, but now we have Jalen Suggs, yeah. and I love Jalen pre-draft, and I still like a lot of what Jalen can bring. It's just going to be dependent on the shot. If Jalen Suggs shoots it, I still think he's going to be an all-star. I just have less confidence in the shot than what I did pre-draft. Yeah, agree. Yeah. Pre-draft, I was pretty high on on the shot, the mechanics, the translatability. I thought that he showed progress throughout his, his one year at Gonzaga of figuring it out, especially when teams went under. Like There are a lot of teams yep. in the WCC that just blanket went under against them. I think Pepperdine did, Pacific might have for a period of time, and he was able to punish them and, and be able to play within that. Now, that's yep. 
different to do with NBA line, NBA spacing, NBA length that ends up contesting right around the screen. But uh, the, the big thing when you add a guy like Paolo, who, as you said, more ball stopper, more heliocentric, ball's got to play through him at you know elbows, tops of the keys, short uh, mid-post areas. Jalen has to be able to shoot or at least be an all-world defender. Like those are the two ways that he really makes an impact next to somebody like that. I, I think he's a great pick and roll creator. I haven't seen the magic really commit to giving him that type of role or, or leash year one, which leads me to believe one of two things, either that's not how they envisioned him and and don't think he's ready for that type of responsibility. Or I was just kind of wrong on a lot of the evaluation side of things. I think the injury freshman, or excuse me, not freshman, your first year, in the league really leaves that a lot of a question mark moving forward. And anytime we're going to talk about Suggs, I think we have to talk about the rest of that backcourt fulcrum. You know, Cole Anthony has been pretty good. Uh, He's definitely deserving of of minutes on an NBA team. I I loved RJ Hampton pre-draft. He hasn't necessarily pulled in uh, a ton of, of minutes and consistency there. He's the third man out in that backcourt rotation or really fourth when you factor in Markel Fultz. There are a lot of young guards there to try to develop. And it may end up being that the best one for the team is the one who fits next to Paolo and Franz best. I think that's probably the right take, to be honest. And this is where like the Fultz thing comes in because Markel is like a very good NBA basketball player now. Not not like a star, not what we thought he was. But he's a great defender. He's a really good passer. He sets the table well. Um, I, I still am pretty hesitant on the shot long term, uh, mostly because teams don't really care if he shoots. Like, I, I know that the numbers from mid-range particularly are actually kind of okay. But the problem for the Magic in that case is that the reason is that NBA teams just don't really care if he's shooting. Like they kind of just go way under everything because that's still what the book is on him. And they're just like, yeah, fuck it. Like whatever, let him go. Right. Um, And how he reacts to that is going to be interesting. Can he develop that shot uh, moving forward? If he can, I'm, I'm interested in Markel for sure. I think Markel is like definitely a top 30 NBA point guard at this Mm -hmm. point. And his game is weird. It's funkier than what we envisioned, but he is actually a useful NBA player now. Um, Cole, I'm a little bit less sold on as anything other than a sixth man. Uh, The efficiency is still a concern and the physical tools uh, that he has. I think like you can actually see the limitation gears turning when you watch him a little bit, just in terms of the way he finishes around the basket, his two point percentage is very low. Uh, He has like really uh, become a pretty effective shooter. I know he shot like 34 from three last year, but I I buy him mostly when he's coming around the screen and, you know, get some space. Like, I think he's probably going to knock it down. Um, But defensively efficiency wise, I think it's just going to be hard for him to live. Uh, So I think there is a wide open spot for Jalen Suggs still to be the guy. Uh, He is a great defender already. I thought he was uh, like sneaky better than Davion Mitchell this year defensively, even though Mitchell got a lot of the hype uh, because of just the effort that Davion brings to the table. Uh, And this isn't to say that Davion isn't a great defender. He absolutely is. It's just that, I think Jalen Suggs is a genuinely great defender for a young player. Um, 
really good passer. I, I like the passing that I saw this year. Obviously, a great open court player. Uh, we'll be able to speed up the game when guys like Paulo and Franz maybe slow it down a little bit more. Um, yeah, no, I, I'm I'm still in on Jalen Suggs, and I, that's why I like this core a lot. Like, I actually really like the way that Paulo Bancaro, Franz Wagner, Jalen Suggs work together. I think I'm probably a little bit lower on all of the RJ Hampton, Chuma Okiki, Caleb Houston group uh, that uh you know exists there Caleb Houston had a pretty good summer league comparatively but it, it's a limitation game with him like you really have to limit him to being a floor spacer and that's kind of it because that's what he can do now um but I like the top three quite a bit and I'm just going to be fascinated to see how they integrate Jonathan Isaac back in with that front court of the future. How do you integrate Wendell Carter in? Do you play Paulo at the five a bit? They kept Mo Bamba for reasons kind of beyond my personal comprehension. Um, yeah, I don't – how many minutes, the roles that these guys play, I, I just – I'm so intrigued by it. I don't know what to envision when I watch this team. Yeah, and, and I think that's what still needs to be figured out. And their primary objective as a franchise should be for the next year. Uh, you know, do we give Paolo closing minutes at the five and just go smaller and offensive minded with Isaac and Franz yeah. at the four and the three? Do we go at all with like a two, three, four giant lineup with length of Wagner, Isaac, and Bancaro there? And if you do that, does that mean you need more floor spacing at the one than what Suggs can always provide? Like, or They're, ball handling. Even. Right. It's like right. playmaking and like ball handling ability at that point. Cause like I like Franz as a handler at the four. I don't love him as the ball handler at the two. Mm-hmm. Um, Paulo can initiate and do stuff. But here's the other thing like Jalen Suggs, like actually needs to tighten up his handle a little bit. Um, so I don't think you could run that lineup with Jalen Suggs right now uh, and make it work. So yeah, like they're in a, even from a skill perspective, not just from like a lineup, you know, roster crunch perspective. It's kind of weird, I think. Yeah. 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 Like the pieces individually of that top three. Love the bronze Paolo fit, but really want to see a little bit more about how Suggs fits in offensively. And that's not as much about Suggs and those two in a vacuum as much as it is the other pieces that have to play on the floor around them, or at least the ones that they already have. Okay, let, let's go to Detroit because I know that you want to talk extensively about Detroit as well. Um, I, look, I, I adore Cade Cunningham. I would still take him first overall in the 2021 draft. Um, yeah, I, I've seen nothing that would change that opinion for me. And I'm intrigued by their young core moving forward. Obviously, Jalen Duran, Isaiah Stewart, Sadiq Bay. Isaiah Livers, I think, would be my next guy there. Uh, you oh, Jaden Ivey. Exists. Jaden Ivey, I'm sorry. Yeah, obviously. I'm, I'm sorry. I thought I mentioned Jaden at the top, but apparently not. Um, and then, obviously, they have whatever the Killian Hayes wild card is at this point, and guys like Saban Lee and you know some younger players that maybe figure it out. But more than anything, it's the Caden Jaden show. Um and I think that's a that's as that's a fit I've been talking about for months now, and I think it's an absolutely tremendous, tremendous fit. Yeah, totally agree. You know, when I'm looking at this, I think Cade is the best young player that we'll probably talk about today. Uh, I Woo, let's go. Yeah. Uh, call it a hot take, call it what you will. I think that he is built for this. He's just, tell me why. I, I love I love the take, but tell me why. 
playmaking, IQ, and just the ability to convert. He's got it. I, I always struggle to define what it is, but he makes everybody around him better and elevates whatever group he's got on the floor. For him to put up the numbers that he did, particularly as a finisher this year, in the spacing devoid offense that Dwayne Casey threw out there, is it speaks to just how kind of special he is as a processor of the game. Uh, I'm I'm 100% in on Cade. I think that of all of the young stars in the Eastern Conference, he's got the best chance to be a, a sneaky good part of a, an elite defense. I don't think he's your primary top defender, but he's got a seven-foot wingspan. He's versatile enough to guard a couple different spots on the wing, and he's got a really high defensive IQ. Uh, I, I sneakily look at this roster that Detroit has with him, Sadiq Bay, uh, Duran a little bit with his movement patterns, you know, Ivy, like they all have length. And I can see this turning into a super switchy type of defense, maybe not to the level that the Boston Celtics are at with the way that they've built their roster the last couple of years, but a switching one through five, dare you to beat us at the point of attack, force you to score over us in isolations. We'll clean the glass. And then we've got Jaden to push and go in transition. And then Kate or ace in the hole in the half when we need to. I love the theory of that. I think there's still a piece or two away on the wings of really getting that together, particularly on the defensive end of the floor. They just need one more linchpin, maybe in a way that, you know, Jeremy Grant was supposed to be. Um, And obviously, you know, that's, it, it was the right move to, get rid of him. I'm not saying Detroit should have kept him, but a similar type of player I think would go a long way in helping the Pistons just build a core that is unique, has an identity and knows exactly who they are. Yeah, I agree with you mostly. Like I'm all in on Cade. I'm so glad that you brought up the idea of Cade's ability to just make guys better at the end of the day. Uh, he's the guy that I trust most to turn into an end of game star to turn into uh, a full game, unselfish player who makes everyone around him uh, fit better. Essentially, you can play him at the point. You can play him off the ball a little bit, which is why I actually really love the idea of pairing him with Jaden Ivy, because those two can both play on the ball. Jaden has proven he can play off the ball at Purdue because that's essentially what his role was. Uh I like Jaden more as a shooter off the catch as opposed to off the dribble right now. Jaden really has no in-between game. Kate is improving in regard to being able to knock down that, you know, kind of little mini step back mid-range shot from the elbows. Uh, just a very, very, it, it's everything I want from a backcourt, essentially. Like I, I want Kate and Jaden with their length. To, I want Jaden to be able to become like a monster at the point of attack, even though he's not there yet. Uh, he is okay at like chasing guys off the bounce, though, or chasing guys off of screens, chasing guys off of um, little actions and things like that. Watch him defend Max Christie last year. Like he completely swallowed him up uh, with his movement off the ball. Uh, but Jaden has a ton of potential defensively, has a ton of potential in terms of athleticism. Uh, you just look at the way that that duo has potential to work, Cade manipulating defenses on side pick and rolls, on middle pick and rolls, then swinging it to the opposite side. And then you have Jaden Ivey getting ready to go downhill immediately now that the defense is bent or turned. I, I love everything about the way that that could really, really work. Um, and I, and I call it fire. Ice. 
I call it fire and ice where like yeah. Jaden is the fire, the transition, the downhill emphatic dunks at the rim, really high caliber plays. And then Cade is the guy late clock ice in his veins, go in there and really yeah. make the right decision and just figure out how to get himself or somebody else a wide open look. I love the fit. Yeah. I, I think it's a tremendous, tremendous fit. Uh, I, I look at the way that Cade Cunningham uh, is just going to continue to mature you watched it in the second half of the season i mean his his final 30 games or so i thought you know maybe 25 games i thought that was the best stretch from any rookie last year uh his first little while was not quite good enough to overcome the full season of evan mobley and scotty barnes being impactful on both ends of the court and everything but those final 25 games the back half of that season for Cade i thought was more impressive than anything we saw from a rookie last year and if I'm a Pistons fan, I feel ecstatic about that pick still. Uh, I would anticipate that Cade Cunningham is very close to an all-star caliber player this year. Uh, I would still take him over guys like LaMelo Ball long-term. I would take him over um, you know, a lot of these younger guards like Darius Garland, etc. Uh, I, I just... I really truly believe in what Cade can bring to the table. Uh, and I think we're about to see it starting from game one this year, as opposed to game like 35, which is really when it took him. I, I thought it took him, you know, he missed the first 10 or whatever, and then probably took him 25, 30 games to like really kind of lock in a little bit and figure it out. Yep. But uh, I think you reward in season growth in a lot of ways. Like I know we won't talk about the West. Jalen Green had a similar trajectory uh, this year. Yep. So guys who, who get better throughout the course of their year, you can see them figuring it out. It, it really, really matters. And I think that, you know, the Pistons need to commit to getting a little bit more floor spacing around those guys. Like I think Ivy can shoot it and play off ball. I think Cade can shoot it and play off ball, but ideally you want some specialty shooters, some guys that are drilling shots in the corners time and time again, because that allows a guy like Jalen Duran to really be integrated as a lob threat within the offense. Yeah, and just for what it's worth, Cade Cunningham in his final 25 games of the season, 20 points, 6 rebounds, 6 assists, uh, only shot 28% from 3 in those games, but was actually pretty efficient. He had uh, 45% from the field. Out, If you get like a normal three-point percentage there, and I think both of you and I believe he's going to shoot long-term, Um that's going to be a pretty efficient mark. He got to the line four times per game during that stretch. Yeah. I thought it was very, very impressive to watch Cade grow and mature and figure it out um, at a pretty substantial level. And by the way, the Pistons won quite a few of those games late in the season. Uh, I believe that they won something like 10 or 12 of, I think they went like 12 and 11 or something in those final 23 games that Cade played. So I'm a, I'm a believer in him. The rest of this young core, I mean, how, I don't think you and I have really talked a ton about Jalen Duran. Uh, where are you at on Jalen Duran? Uh, did you like this trade for them? Did you think that, um, he was a guy worth investing in, uh, at the number 13 overall spot? Yeah. So I think we were, uh, I was joining you and Penny during the live draft show. Yeah. And we just game. had no idea what was happening <laughs> during that trade. Is he a Nick? Is he a Hornet? Is he a Piston? What's going on? Um, uh, you know, I, I like it from a talent perspective. I think that the the upside a guy like Duran brings at 13 is probably higher than almost anybody else, if not anybody else that yeah. you can get. I think that adding rim protection is smart uh, long-term or, around this group. 
And I think that Kate is best with a really good vertical lob threat. And if there's one thing Duran is going to be good at from day one, it's screening, rolling to the rim, and having an absurd catch radius and soft hands to go up there and and really you know catch those absurd passes and finish. Um, I, I like it. You know, I, I think it fits. As I said, I, I envisioned this being more of a switching defense long term when I looked at Cade and Sadiq and some of the pieces that they had. I think it still can be that, but Duran's not going to be, you know, uh, a really Robert Williams or an Al Horford type of, I feel comfortable with him possession after possession switching if that's what we have to do. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's more of a drop defender, uh, but I think he can be very good at it. And I think he can be a very impactful rim protector. He is going to be an awesome rim runner. The other part of it that's really fun, he's going to be a really good transition athlete to run with Jaden Ivey as well. Um, yeah, look, I, I think at 13 and with the pick that they gave up, which I think is actually kind of unlikely to be a very high-end lottery pick. Um, yeah, no, I, I actually quite like that for them. I thought it was smart. Uh, we haven't talked a ton about Sadiq Bay and Isaiah Stewart. Isaiah Stewart, uh, I like the idea of him. I really think he's going to be an absolutely tremendous third big man in the NBA. And honestly, like probably going to be a top 30 starting center in the league, like a, that level of player. I don't love him right now with this Pistons core because it's hard because like I love what he brings to the table. Like I love that he's tough. He brings that mindset, which is really great for a young team. He's a really good defender, which is big for this young team. Uh he's learning to shoot, which is big for his long-term growth. Like I just need to see more from the shot because at the end of the day, I actually don't really see him as like a downhill lob threat kind of guy. And if he's not that, I don't know what the offensive role is unless he's like really shooting. Yep. And defensively, he is switchable, like he's but he's not like an elite elite rim protector. You probably aren't gonna get like great high level rim protection with him at the five. Probably gonna want him more at the four, which means you have to shoot even more, and then you're gonna have to have incredible ball handling on the court. It's just a weird role, which is almost why I see it more translating as like a third big, even though I love the player and love what he brings to the table. Yeah, I think that's incredibly well said. Uh, it, it sum up a lot of the the sentiments that I'm feeling with him. And, and I think the thing with Isaiah that I just want to throw out there, like he's a guy who continues to prove people wrong, who doubt him, who yeah. underestimate him. So like I have... I agree with you. I echo every sentiment you just said. I would also not be surprised if a year from now you, excuse me, you and I are both looking like idiots. You know, I love could, like he could. Here's he the could thing: like, I just love the guy. I, I freaking love the guy. Like, I want him to be great. Like, I, I I want him to be like a top 15 center in the NBA. I just don't know that physically he's big enough, given what the role is. You know, because he's like six foot eight. He has great length and he's strong and he's physical, but you have to be an elite rim protector, not like a good rim protector at that. Like if given what his game is, or he's going to have to shoot it, which maybe he will learn to shoot it. Like maybe that will be the great development in his game is becoming a real high level shooter, but he's not there yet. I, I love the defensive intensity. I love the attitude he brings to the table. I think that, 
that's kind of the thing about this Pistons team. Cade is tough as shit. Jaden is wildly competitive. I think that's something that kind of went underrated pre-draft. Like Jaden is a crazy competitive dude. Isaiah Stewart is a very, very competitive human being. Uh, Sadiq Bey is a guy that, you know, obviously comes from Villanova, very high level winning pedigree. Uh, I just, I, I love the mentality and the makeup of the guys that Troy Weaver has drafted here as well. Yeah, smart, tough, long, and we'll figure out the rest later. Uh, I buy into it. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, it's 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 a good strategy. It's it's the the pieces look weird now, but you draft these guys knowing that they're going to do what it takes to win, and that they'll almost like figure it out on their own, right? And I, I'm I'm with it. Let's uh let's take a quick commercial break, and then we'll talk about a couple more teams that are interesting. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, For instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla Minus One recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan. And you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon Prime or something to be able to watch it. So... When I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. NordVPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions, just head to nordvpn.com slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y, to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account, nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. All right, Adam. We have to have a conversation. You... Didn't even list the Cavaliers on this uh, <laughs> Google Doc that uh, you created because 
reasons. I, th- this Cavs, yeah. I think that the cat, the Cavs top duo of guys is the best duo that we're going to talk about by far. Yeah. Yeah. So uh brain fart moment or note to self. <laughs> don't Google, uh, don't Google sheet plan things at 11 PM at night. It's just not oh, no. going to be a good idea. You're going to forget an important detail. In my mind, I looked at Garland and think extension and therefore not rookie contract yeah. anymore, but doesn't kick in until another year. So the duo of, of him and Mobley, 100% worth talking about. And, and I have been, I'll just throw it out there, a huge Darius Garland fan since his days at Vanderbilt. Um, I am wrong for this, but it just shows my my love for the guy. I had him above John Morant all those years ago back mm. in the draft. So, again, mistake on my part? Yeah, probably. But uh, I am a huge, huge, huge fan of Garland. To me, that said more about Darius than it did about Ja. Well, the guy I want to talk about is Evan Mobley. Because, look, I tend not to dive into these, like, you know, workout circuit things in the offseason. I tend not to be a guy that, like, really gives a shit about that stuff. His his jumper looks good. Like, the way that uh, the folks over there in Southern California, that I believe it's, like, Olin's... Uh, Simplest and, and like those guys are really working with him in terms of getting him to his mid range shot off of different sets of footwork. If he can shoot from the mid range and like, obviously he can take some ball screens already because he can really handle the ball. He plays with great bend has just like incredible hand eye coordination for a big incredible dexterity, great balance, great coordination if he can get like the footwork stuff down and shoot from the mid range and like create those shots, that's a top 10 player in the league. That's like, no, it's like not even a question. He's, he is so good already defensively. I thought he had a real case for second team, all defense this year. And, um, if he shoot, like if he's creating shots, in addition to the passing, in addition to just like getting shots out of ball screens with Darius Garland, getting shots off of cuts like into the dunker spot, he's going to average twenty three points a game, six you know, may- maybe like nine rebounds, four assists, and play elite elite level defense. Like that's a top ten player in the league. I, I am everything I've seen from Evan Mobley says to me this guy is about to take another leap and just be like an absolute star. We, we will see. Time will always tell. I, I think the footwork thing is really fascinating. Like one of the knocks that I had on Mobley coming out of the draft is that as a face-up driver, he's a lot more of a deliberate, like turn you, spin you, fade away jumper, baby yeah. hook, as opposed to get all the way to the rim and use his length to finish, you know, clean layup attempts or dunks leaning into that and understanding how his body moves and functions and working on different counter moves or, or whatever his training staff is working with him on may make him even better in, in that regard, as opposed to trying to, you know, square a jam, a square peg into a round hole and just say, Hey, you're going to be a face up driver. Let's get you work on your separation off the bounce a little bit more. Like this fits who he is a lot more. Yeah. I love the pairing of, him and Garland because they're both high IQ basketball players that can create on their own. 
And they're both so good in specific ways off ball. Like I think Garland's an unbelievable knockdown shooter as a catch and shoot guy. And I think Mobley's a tremendous finisher near the basket on catch and finishes, whether that's standing in the dunk spot or out of the, the, the role. So I'm curious from you though, Sam, I mean, how long do we think a too big lineup in Cleveland is the right course of action for them with Allen and Mobley? And how much do we really say, Hey, this guy, as he continues to fill out, get stronger, get, get better, is going to be such a comparative advantage at the five that if we take these two and we just surround them with shooting and maybe one other option that can go get their own, like we're going to be unstoppable on the offensive end. And Mobley's so good on defense, we'll be okay there too. Like, is, is that something that's coming down the pike or is the two big thing just – it works? Right now it works, and I'm good with continuing it as it works and continuing to get Evan Mobley, maybe some staggered minutes at the five off the bench, you know, with bench units, right? Maybe, maybe you do some units where it's like you're running a two man game with Karis Levert and Evan Mobley at the five as your second unit. Right. Um, And then Darius Garland and Jared Allen with Mobley uh, on the wing, you know, the four, acting as like your secondary initiator kind of maybe that's your move later, right? Like maybe that's your, that's your, you know, early, early in the game, finishing lineup, everything. The, the weird thing is that. So Jared Allen is very young. Like Jared Allen's 24. He has a long contract. I think you kind of just got to let this develop organically. They're good enough as it is like that. Jared Allen has gotten a lot better as a rim protector. I, I hated the fit. I hated it whenever I first uh, saw that they were actually going to sign Jared Allen to that contract. I did not like the idea of pairing him with Evan Mobley, but the more you watch it last year, the more Jared is just such a good rim runner and, and he's such a good threat for Garland. Who's so good at throwing those lob passes. And Jared is such a good guy for, Evan to learn from uh, is like a quarterback of a defense. He's gotten a lot better. I used to think Jarrett Allen used to get in so much trouble by chasing and like, we're chasing rebounds, but more than that, chasing blocks and like pulling himself out of position. He was so much better last year at that. He was so, so much more solid and steady defensively. Um, I still think that Evan is a little bit better of a defender than what Jared is. I know that I think that like the numbers kind of indicate if I remember correctly off the top of my head that Jared, his numbers in terms of on off were a little bit stronger than what Evans were. But I think that Evan is just like kind of the linchpin that um, is the marginal. Uh, he's like the, he's the advantage that they have because he's so long being able to play that second big is so valuable. Being able to have someone that's so switchable and so big is incredibly valuable. Whereas like there's more Jared Allen's out there than there are Evan Mobley's right. Um, That goes without saying, but I think that's what makes Evan Mobley such a valuable piece is that he can be the chess piece. that's kind of moving around all the time. Um, Yeah. I mean, 
I think you got to just let it roll for now. This is a problem that you figure out two years down the road. Not, not a problem that you try to answer now because it's not a problem right now. You know what I mean? Well, and, and speaking comparatively of where the cap is about to go, Jared Allen's contract two years from now is going to look mighty nice as a trade piece if you absolutely have to move it, and totally. it work anymore. So I think that there's yeah. you know, patience is certainly going to be rewarded for them in that regard. It's just, you know, for me, I think shooting is always going to be a premium when you have star players, especially yeah. if they can be a pick and roll combination. And like Markinen has filled in and done okay. I, I think Levert is fine in that type of role and, and it's valuable to have a secondary creator. Um, but I've always wondered like, what are they going to do to address one more wing shooter? They need a little bit more depth at those spots. And, you know, whether that's a Coro continuing to get better or O'Shea Baji really coming in and just having a simplified role that we've seen year after year at Kansas, he can fulfill. I think that helps his team. So love the direction that they're going uh, and, and think that it's, you know, the, the pieces with Mobley and Garland, they're so good that if everybody else just has a simple, clearly defined role around them, they're going to be in really good shape. The last guy I wanted to ask about is Isaac Okoro. Uh, I liked Isaac pre-draft. I had him as like a tier three guy. Uh, I did not have him as, you know, top tier top five overall pick guy. I think I might've had him at five, but like, that's not the grade I had on him. Cause I just didn't have anyone else in that class really that I loved. Like I had him and Tyrese Halliburton, like very, very close to one another. One of them hit one of them. Didn't um, if you're the Cavs, are you just like treating Isaac Okoro? Like he's a defensive stopper at this point. Um, or are you treating him like he still has some upward growth in terms of his shooting ability? How do you evaluate that piece moving forward? Yeah, I think he's much more of a defensive stopper. Uh, you know, I was slightly lower on Okora. I think I had him like 15 or 16, somewhere in that range, just because I, I did not buy into the jumper uh, and mm-hmm. still, you know, still don't. Uh, but I think that as long as you have the guy, you have to continue to work on developing it. I think that there's also, you know, room for one slasher in a system where you have as many high field passers as the Cavaliers could with Garland and with Mobley. But Okoro's value comes when you do decide to play Mobley at the five, not necessarily in moments when Allen and Mobley are out there. I think then Okoro becomes a real liability. So an interesting piece for them to have, but it's hard for me to consider him a building block when, as we've said the two big lineup is working so well. And around that, you just need floor spacing. That becomes so much more of a priority than a perimeter stopper because you have so much length and rim protection behind you. Like a lot of what Okoro does is just rendered inert by the pieces that Cleveland already has. I would say that this is the swing year for Isaac. Uh, because it's one of those deals where you look at the box score and you're like, Wait, Isaac Okoro shot 35% from three this past year on over two attempts per game. But like when you watch him, it's just clear that like opposing teams do not care when he shoots. They do not care when he has the ball at the end of the day. And this is the year where he needs to prove, look, I can make 37% of my wide open threes, right? I might not be a legit floor spacer, but if you leave me open, I'm going to hurt you. Uh, improve that to opposing teams. Uh, if he can do that, I think he, like, 
I am not writing him off as like a starting caliber, like useful NBA player at all. Like this is a second year player that was 21 years old last year that averaged nine points a game on 48% from the field, 35% from the three, 77% from the line while playing very high level defense. And I know that like Cavs fans get a little bit frustrated because if you look at Okoro's like numbers against him as a scorer, uh, they look pretty bad, but it's because he's a 21 year old guarding like the opposing team's best player. And that's really fucking hard to do. Um, do I think he's going to end up being more than like a role player? Probably not, but I think there's more upside there than meets the eye. Uh, but like how it's weird because you, you watch it and it doesn't feel great watching a Coro the, like the box score weirdly looks better than what the tape does on offense. Despite the fact that like you also have to watch the games to like understand that he is good defensively, like no matter what the numbers will tell you um, and what opposing players like shoot against him and everything. Uh, he, he is good on the ball and like he is like very accountable off the ball. Um, he's a weird player to evaluate. I, I don't really know. I, I definitely would not give up on him is what I would say. If I was, if I was a Cavs fan, no, no, I definitely. would not give up on him. No. And, and I think the fear is that he turns into in a postseason series, like Andre Robertson, where he just gets ignored. a yeah. lot. Of it's that strategic chess piece. And again, if, if Cleveland is going to play two bigs, that becomes a really easy piece for an opposing coach to, to target. Yeah. Yeah. And like, he is at real risk of being played off the court, but this is a swing year for Isaac Okoro is what I would say. I have, I have some faith in him still. And again, when you look at the box score, it does not look disastrous, but when you watch it, it doesn't feel great offensively. And I need to see more basically, but there's, there's enough there that I'm willing to continue to play out the string for sure. Um, okay, let's move forward. Let's talk about a team that you put pretty high up here, the Indiana Pacers. Uh, I've talked quite a bit about the Indiana Pacers this off season, um, did a whole podcast on them, uh, with Caitlin Cooper essentially, because God, uh, do I love Tyrese Halliburton? So much. I love him. And I, and I really like Ben Matherin. I had him higher than most of the other public facing draft analysts. And I had Chris Duarte. This is like the Chris Duarte podcast. Uh, I had him quite high last year, uh, pre-draft like, and then like you have guys like Isaiah Jackson and Terry Taylor and like they drafted Kendall Brown. Like there are some weird, fun little pieces here. Where, where are you at on the Pacers as they continue to build this strange roster out? Yeah, so super in on Tyrese Halliburton. And I think what if there's one thing they've identified as a franchise, and I'm really glad that they've done it, it's when you have a supremely high IQ basketball player that can create with the ball in his hands, surround him with as much shooting as possible. I'm yeah. really, really curious to see how that plays out long term because I think Matherin is a fantastic shooter and a, a guy who's really good off movement and screens Duarte, the same thing, you know, or like they have buddy healed right now to be more of a veteran in that type of role. So a lot of different guys that can then fill that. I think Isaiah Jackson, you know, Jalen Smith, a little bit like developing pick and pop bigs and jumpers is fascinating to me. 
I think Isaiah Jackson's going to shoot it at, at some point in his career and be Ooh, a, okay. I, I I think that's going to happen. Like Miles Turner does that right now. Like all of these floor spacers around such a smart, high IQ basketball player turns them into a team that can maybe overachieve earlier on in their development, as opposed yeah. to some of these other teams we're talking about who it's about the natural progression, getting all of these pieces to gel and age and mesh together. Like Indiana is more so on that quick fix type of track, which may come into be a little bit of a downside because I, I do think they need one more piece to really turn into a, somebody really special long-term. Or, or they need Ben Matherin to be that guy. Right. Like, And Ben has the athleticism to be that guy. Uh, he needs to improve the ball handler, improve his pick and roll ability, but his athleticism mixed with his shot making ability, I think gives him a very high upside. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if uh, the floor is also pretty high with Ben because of all of that as well, he needs to lock in defensively and like be more accountable and just be a more, yeah, just, just be better on that end. At the end of the day, he was not very good defensively at Arizona. It kind of drove me nuts to be honest, but I still had him like fifth on my board because the mix of power, athleticism, and strength with shooting is very good for a guy that's six foot six and has some length. And like you can you can see the outlines of a guy that becomes like a maybe not quite all star, but like that just that level below wing uh, in the NBA. Here's here's what Tyrese Halliburton does. Tyrese Halliburton fast tracks the development of all of your players playing with Tyrese Halliburton is going to make life so much easier for the rest of your guys. And even let's say he doesn't fast track the development of someone. He's going to allow you to identify very quickly. If that player is someone worth investing in, because he's always going to put his teammates in the exact position that they want to be placed in and that they're going to hit their utmost success in the guy that like, it just stands out so strongly to me. Terry Taylor's minutes in the back half of the season were awesome. He's <laughs> like, really good. He's really good. Playing him is like a combo. I, I he's a big. Like I, I, you have to call him a big, right? Like he's six foot five, but like you play him in the dunker spot, you play him in like ball screen scenarios. The way that Tyrese Halliburton set him up for success and the way that Terry Taylor thinks the game as well is very simpatico with Tyrese Halliburton. And man, it's like, I don't mean this disrespectfully to Terry Taylor, who I think is like proven himself that he's an NBA player at this point. Um, but you just think of it as like, if he can do that with Terry Taylor, Think about what he's going to do with like other guys. Think about how quickly he's going to help you identify if Isaiah Jackson is a real dude, like with that athleticism, with those tools, because Isaiah Jackson, again, like Terry Taylor's brain is his tool and we shouldn't underestimate that at all. But like some of the physical tools that Isaiah Jackson has, you know, in comparison to someone like Terry Taylor is it's just on a different plane. Right. Being six foot 10, being a literal pogo stick that can like jump multiple times within a two second span and, you know, 
get to the rim or, you know, get offensive rebounds, things like that. You're going to learn so quickly because of Tyrese Halliburton on your team. If Isaiah Jackson can be that guy or not. And if he's not, then Terry Taylor's right there. And Terry Taylor's someone who can average double figures as he proved uh, late in the season uh, for like, uh, for Indiana, like seriously, Terry Taylor's last uh, last fourteen games, he averaged twelve points, five rebounds. Um, you know, shot sixty two percent from the field just by playing smart minutes. Um, yeah, no, I, I love I love everything about Tyrese Halliburton. I want to shout out Terry Taylor here because uh, I don't think anybody watched enough Pacers at the end of the year last year uh, to understand how good he was. But we should also just talk about like the the actuality of what Tyrese Halliburton is. I mean, he's just so outstanding in every regard. Uh, yeah, I, I am, I'm all in on the Tyrese Halliburton experience. Well, and, and it's not just that Tyrese makes a guy like Terry Taylor able to play in that role and really succeed. It's that the infrastructure the Pacers have because they have Miles Turner who can shoot it because they have specialty wings who can dart off screens and provide really high level floor spacing. Like, that's the lethal part of it. It's not just Tyrese. It's yep. Tyrese with spacing. You know, yep. uh, we were talking about Cade Cunningham and the lack of spacing that Detroit had earlier. Like if Tyrese is playing in that system, he's still making really, really strong plays. But if he's on the Pistons, Terry Taylor can't be that small pick and roll type of guy because there's too many help defenders ready to chip down on him in the lane. It's yeah. it's about the entirety of the system. And uh, and I got to give a quick shout out to Rick Carlisle, who's infamously like not a guy that plays a ton of young guys and doesn't bend his system and likes to have control calling plays. Like They ran a lot more pick and roll and played through Tyrese at the end of the year. He was able yeah. to, to give those younger guys a little bit of a run. I think that they're going to take that upward trajectory now as a result of that. But I think it also speaks to how special Tyrese is. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Think about how fucking genius you have to be to let Rick Carlisle like take his hands off the reins. Think about how smart you have to be. That's how smart Tyrese Halliburton is. That's, that's um, There's no better compliment to a young player than if Rick Carlisle says, here you go, go. Yeah. Uh, where are we at on Chris Duarte? I feel like he had the exact rookie season that we thought he would. Average 13 points, 43% from the field, 37% from three, 80% from the line. Um, yeah. I would imagine he's going to shoot well this year. He's going to be a good secondary creator, and he's going to play solid defense and just be that starting caliber two guard that the Pacers will want. Yeah. I mean, not to quote Dennis Green, but like he is who we thought he was. That's just – yeah, yeah, he is. Yeah, which is great. It's a perfect player for them. Honestly, like I was debating, does he fit the age timeline uh, of this young core? I don't know, but he fits the timeline of uh, he fits the contract timeline that they're on, essentially. Like they have him for three cheap years. Look, if, if they get an offer that like blows you away and like blows the doors off the place, I do think you consider moving him just because he's 25 already and, you know, you just it's it's he he's younger than all of their guys. Like he's five years older than Ben Matherin, which is crazy to say. Uh, he's I think four years older than Tyrese Halliburton. And you, you are going to have to make like very weird decisions here because of his age. But at the end of the day, you have to get bowled over with an offer uh, to move 
Chris Duarte. And I would not do that yet. Um, some of these other teams that I wanted to talk about. Uh, the Knicks are in a weird place. I love the Knicks young talent. I almost don't want to focus on the Knicks because I don't know how long that young talent will be playing for the Knicks. Cause it seems like, it seems like where they're going is utilizing that young talent more as trade assets as opposed to utilizing it for like their on-court ability. I loved what I saw late in the year from Toby. Uh, oh my God. Obi Toppin. I loved what we saw. Uh, I liked what we saw throughout the year from Emmanuel quickly. Uh, I love Quentin Grimes. We've talked about that quite a bit. Um, I've talked about that extensively on this podcast as well. Like I, I just, I am fascinated to see where all of this goes moving forward, I guess with the Knicks. Yeah. I think the Knicks have done a really good job of drafting and identifying talent in the later parts of the first round and the second round, which is kind of the cheat code to giving you these types of trade assets. You haven't yeah. struck out at all and you've actually hit, you know, some doubles, no home runs really, but a lot of doubles there with quickly Grimes. I mean, I, I like Jericho Sims and Deuce McBride a lot too, as guys yeah. that can be role players in the NBA. So it's nice for Leon Rose to be sitting on that, you know, cache of assets. It's just, what do you do with it? And if you keep everybody and no deal really does materialize, like, is this enough to, to help the Knicks get to the next level? It's a lot of filler pieces and you've got to really believe in RJ Barrett taking that next step. If he's going to be the star. Yeah, we haven't really talked a ton about Barrett. Are you an R.J. Barrett guy? I am. Yeah, I, I am. I, I think more so as a the years go by more as a second or third option as opposed to the guy within an offense. Yeah. Uh, but I, I do I do really like his game. I think it's a lot more well-rounded than he gets credit for. Yeah, he's a really good defender, yeah. uh, is improving the shooting. I think he it seemed like changed his mentality to really try and get downhill a lot more, try to get to the rim a lot more in the second half of the season. Uh, yeah, look, I really like the young Knicks. It's just, I don't want to take a crazy amount of time on them just cause like, I, I don't know what this roster is going to look like by the time training camp starts, let alone like in a year when, you know, maybe another star comes available other than Donovan Mitchell. It seems like that's the route that the Knicks are going to go. So I, I don't know that they're kind of in the same. It's just a different conversation with them as talented as the young players are with the Knicks, I guess is what I would say. Um, the Charlotte Hornets are interesting as well. They have LaMelo Ball. Uh, I really like PJ Washington as a guy that I think is going to make an impact on playoff teams. Uh James Booknight looks like that could be a mess for the Charlotte Hornets, unfortunately. We'll see. I will also say Mark Williams did not look great at Summer League. Yeah. Uh, I have faith that he can figure it out. I think that guys like Mark Williams, with the tools that he has, angles and like intelligence and experience is so, so critical for him being able to do that and being able to like stay in front of guys and being able to wall off in ball screens. It doesn't surprise me that it was a bit of a struggle early on, I guess is what I would say. Yep. 
I think I think that's fair. I think in looking at Charlotte as a whole, like Lamelo's the key piece, and you want to surround him with shooting. You want to surround him with you know rim runners and guys that can catch lobs, and then just defensive pieces because I, I still think Lamelo needs really good defensive infrastructure around him if the team's going to be really good. What makes me scratch my head a little bit with some of the drafting habits that they've had is if everybody develops to a you know an as expected level. Do you really have room on the same roster for PJ Washington, Mark Williams, JT Thor and Kai Jones? Like it's just a lot of overlap and toolsy unique guys with length that like I wasn't that high on either Thor or Jones coming into the, the draft a couple of years ago. I don't know. I mean, it's it's a lot of overlap in ways where Nick Richards and Vernon Carey in the same draft as well, even though Vernon Carey does not play for them anymore. Um, yeah, similar kind of situation where they're overlapping their talent a little bit. Yeah, so it, it's it's hard to know. Again, is this a core or is this just Lamelo with continuing to take? good players that we think can turn into something and we'll figure out down the line how they fit and who ends up making it. Yeah. Agree. Uh, I wanted to talk about Toronto. Would you just take Scotty Barnes over like Indiana's core, for instance, right now? Uh, I love Tyrese Halliburton, but Scotty Barnes just is unbelievably good. Uh, would, would you take Scotty Barnes over, um, I don't think I would take him over Detroit's core, but like yeah. I probably would take Scotty over like what Charlotte has. I'd probably take him over what New York has, frankly. Um I, I think Scotty's just really good. Yeah, don't do this to me. Don't make me answer this question. Oh, it's it's so hard. I Gross, love isn't it? Yeah, I love Scotty and like the the thing that's so different about him is maybe aside from Mobley, he's the most versatile guy that we'll, we'll talk about. He may even be more versatile than Mobley just because of a little bit more what he can do with the ball in his hands offensively. I I was a huge Scotty Barnes fan coming out of the draft. I did not foresee him getting this good this quickly. Yeah, And yeah. that changes some things. I think it speeds up Toronto's timeline for wanting to surround him with guys that can win now. Uh, not to say that they were on a slow timeline, but it, it means you can lean into Scotty as being a lot more of a piece on that type of team. I think, I think I would. I'd rather have Scotty than a lot of the pieces that that Indiana has, and it's more so because I think you can find veteran shooting. You can find all these different ways to not just be good on the offensive end, but you can legitimately construct an elite defense with Scotty Barnes as one of your linchpins. Yeah, I think you can too. I mean, yeah, Scotty's really good. Scotty's really, really good. And he had such a weird, his scoring season was very strange just insofar as like he came out like gangbusters shooting and then dropped off a little bit in terms of being able to shoot and knock down shots. And then late in the year, I thought he got it back again. Like he got that mid-range shooting back to the point where you kind of buy him continuing along that trajectory. Cause really when it comes down to a Scotty is how much do you buy the shooting long-term? Do you buy him being able to extend it out to three? Do you buy him being like a 50% mid range shooter, which is like the best mark in the NBA, essentially. Like if he can be that guy, I, I don't know. I, I, that's like the last guy I want to bet against. 
personally, um, just in terms of his mentality and aggressiveness and energy. Uh, Certainly wouldn't have been the pick that I would have made. I'm well on record uh, with that. Uh, But I think I've been pretty clear. And like the part of it that frustrates me is like, I've always really liked Scotty. And I think that I was like the only public facing draft person that never dropped him out of the top 10, like throughout his throughout his draft year. Uh, I I loved him. It's just that I liked him a little bit less than Jalen Suggs. And, you know, it's, it's a fascinating situation. If you were the Toronto Raptors, uh, how, how do you make a decision on Scotty? Like, do you move him for Kevin Durant? Like, are you willing to do that? Cause if you have Kevin Durant, Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Vliet, OG Ananobi, you're probably the NBA title favorite, right? Like that, that's the title favorite if they get him. Yeah. Um, I have no idea how I answer that one either. Uh, I mean, I just <laughs> because you do it for a year or two, it's what we saw with Kawhi. You do it for a year, maybe two or three, you win a title and then you're back in a situation where you're looking for the next Scotty Barnes. Uh, yeah. I, that's hard. It's hard. It's really hard. Yeah. Decisions that NBA GMs have to make are, they're very hard. But yeah. I, I do know that I would pick Toronto to win the title if that core was Kevin Durant, Fred Van Vliet, Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi. I, I feel that that would be my title pick for sure. And you might not have to offer Scotty yet if you're right. Toronto, because I don't know if anyone else has offered anything real yet. Um I don't know. We'll see. I'm, I'm, I love the idea of Toronto with Kevin Durant, but I love the idea of Toronto with Scotty Barnes too, because Scotty is phenomenal. And like I said, he's so good that we literally just talked about like how much we like those young Indiana players. And I would take Scotty Barnes over all of them combined. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. So, yeah. Uh, the last few here, the Washington wizards just continue to like, draft random players uh, and ones that overlap with one another, like Rui Achimura, Denny Avdia, uh, Corey Kispert. Like those guys are all guys that really have to defend fours at the end of the day. And, and by the way, like Corey Kispert had a really underrated back end of the season, uh, really emerged into a guy that uh, is going to be a very high level floor spacer in the NBA. Um, I think people expected him to be ready from game one. And he wasn't quite ready by game one, but he was ready by game, you know, 35 to step in immediately and play and like play real minutes and be competent out there. Uh, If I'm Washington, I'm ecstatic with, I'm not ecstatic with that pick, but like, I'm pretty happy with the Kisper pick. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's not just the overlap of positions and who they guard, but it's that they continually bring in veterans around the young guys that they pick to take away their pathway to minutes. Like, you know, they draft Hachimura and Avia and Kyle Kuzma comes to town. You know, this year they go out there, they they get Johnny Davis in the draft. And then like two weeks later, they're bringing in Monty Morris, Will Barton and DeLon Wright all bang, bang, bang in a row. It's like, well, there goes the pathway to minutes for early, you know, career development for a guy like Davis. It, it's it's hard to judge a young core when you bring in guys and you continually muddy the waters for how do they get minutes. It's it's just a fascinating situation. Yeah, no, I agree. It's it's weird. They're they're a very weird team. Uh, not sure, not sure what to do with Washington. 
uh, because if I was if I was them, I'd be trying to bottom out because part of the thing is that they keep ending up at pick between eight and 12 and having these guys that, well, maybe there's something, maybe they're not. Um, Denny, I think, has been very impactful defensively and in terms of being able to like play without the ball. Um, Rui has shown flashes as a scorer, but I, I think it's hard to really have faith in him being much of anything at this point. Um, Johnny Davis looked terrible at summer league. Uh, there's not really another way to put that, but Johnny, I think is tough and he'll figure out how to be an impactful player on some level. Um, yeah, they're like in a weird situation, like almost all on their own. Uh, the Atlanta Hawks, Onyeka Kongwu, Deandre Hunter, you know, we haven't seen enough of Onyeka yet when we've seen him on the court. I think he's been very impactful, uh, DeAndre Hunter, <laughs> frankly, probably haven't seen enough of him on the court, but he is very good. We know that he's good at basketball. It's just more, uh, I would like to see him play more, uh, and not be hurt, unfortunately. Yep. Yeah. And again, like, I think Jalen Johnson's another guy that could gain that momentum of being like, we haven't seen him enough, but there's some potential there. Like, I, I really liked him coming out of Duke. I, I, I think his game translates well to the NBA in certain ways. I'm not sure if the fit is in Atlanta and I'm not sure what the development looks like. Cause we just don't see him enough, but uh, yeah. I mean, some uh, still some trade assets there in younger guys, if they really needed it. Yeah. Uh, and then obviously they also drafted AJ Griffin. Who's a guy that you and I think we're a little bit lower on than consensus, but uh, another interesting wing piece, the very least who uh, between DeJounte Murray and Trey Young just setting him up for open threes. You would think that that is as good a fit as you will find for him to find success in the league. Um, Philadelphia would be the last team. They just have Tyrese Maxey, and Tyrese Maxey is going to average 24 points a game at some point. Uh, I, I'm not as high on Matisse Thibel as some are. Really good defender. Um, really impactful and aggressive defender, but I don't know what you do with him on offense. And frankly, I think that like would not have been a pick for me for all defense teams. I guess I would say Uh, I like his defense. He is a good defender and like, he's definitely an NBA player. All of that Um, would not have been, I I would not have had him that high. Yes, yeah, he he gambles a lot, and that's in the coaching side of me. I don't love guys who always gamble, so uh, I'm with you there. Yeah, um, but Tyrese is great and looks like a star long term. Like he he actually has kind of changed the Philadelphia 76ers trajectory a little bit because he is so good right now. Yeah, yeah no doubt, and and they just have a ton of young guys ton of young guys on their roster. So that's role players. If, if even one of them pans out and turns into a rotational yeah. guy, that's a, a good thing for them, right? Whether it's, you know, Paul Reed, Isaiah Joe, Jaden Springer, like still too soon to tell on any of those guys. They haven't impressed, but if one of them hits and they've got a lot of young guys to, to dip into that pool with, that's, that's good for where the 76ers have been drafting the last couple of years. Okay. Now we get into the meat of it. Which of these young cores would you take? Which of these young cores would you pick? Would you bet on long-term? 
I am going to bet on the Detroit Pistons if I have to pick one. Uh, And it goes back to me believing that of all the players we talked about today, Cade Cunningham will be the best. Um, I love the fit of him and Ivy. I think Duran has the perfect infrastructure for him to, if he just turns into a role player, he can be impactful. But the timeline to fit with guys, if he ever turns into anything more, where that is a monstrous group, I think the Troy Weaver identity of length and IQ and athleticism or size, it just, it fits really well with how the modern game is played. And they have the ability to to put together a unique defensive core with two guys that are really good offensive creators in Ivy and Cade. Um, I'm all the way in on Detroit. I dig it. I think they would be number two for me. Number one for me is Cleveland. Yeah. And I tend, I think, to value, as I've done, look, I've done these rookie scale rankings every year, right? And as I've done them more, and as I've talked to more executives league-wide, and as I've gone through the process of trying to do this, more and more and more, I default to the guys that like genuinely just shift the net, like shift everything, right. The franchise changers, the cornerstones, the, you know, these guys can be dudes league wide, not just like, Oh yeah. Like Sadiq Bay is like a really nice starting quality player in the NBA. And for me, Cleveland already has an all-star guy in Darius Garland. He's an all-star point guard last year. And he's not even the best guy that they have. They have two of those dudes who are just going to be fucking awesome. And Darius Garland is going to average like 24 points a game, nine assists. Um, You know, maybe it's like 26 and seven assists or something like that. At some point, he's so good. He had a historic year as a shooter from deep NBA three-point range, not just like, you know, 24 feet and in. His range is 30 feet. I think that he had the second best percentage of any player to ever take like 40 of those shots or more um, behind Stephen Curry's 2016 MVP season. Uh, He's going to keep getting better as a shooter. He's going to keep getting better as a playmaker. You know, he's the son of a former NBA player. I've talked to him before. The way that he thinks about improving his game is special. And he's not even the one. Like, Evan Mobley is... I I talked about it. Like, if, if he has any shot creation ability, and I think it's coming, that's a special dude. Look, I would take Cade Cunningham over Evan Mobley. I would because I think Cade is unbelievable and he's the guy. But I wouldn't take Cade and Jaden over Darius and Evan. And it's because Evan Mobley is so special on both ends. Um, I can't remember the last time we saw someone this good defensively entering the league. He's he's the best defensive player we've seen enter the league um, since Anthony Davis, probably, right? Yeah, probably probably Davis. I mean, if we want to go back further, what you, you could go back further. Yeah, it might be Duncan. Yeah. Um, like he, I think Evan Mobley had a better defensive 
rookie season than what Anthony Davis did. Mm-hmm. Um, like it, you really can go back to Tim Duncan being that good. That that's how special Evan Mobley is. And if you're like me and you think that the shot creation stuff is coming, he already has the passing ability. He has the ability to handle the ball. If he has the footwork, I mean, there's like it, it's it's close between him and Evan Mobley or between him and Cade Cunningham. And it's close between him and Scotty Barnes as well. Scotty is special as well. Um, but I think I would rank these young cores, Cleveland one, Detroit two, probably Orlando three. And I think that's where I would be on it. Where would you rank the other ones? I would have Cleveland two, Orlando three, and Scotty Barnes four. Yeah. I think that's what I would rank it as well. I think that's where I'm at. And that's like, that's a statement on how good Scotty Barnes is. The fact that like, he's really the, like, I like Malachi Flynn. I liked him pre-draft, but he hasn't been anything yet. Like, I, I liked, you know, Justin Champagne and what we saw this year, but at the end of the day, it's Scotty. Like yeah. Precious is yeah. intriguing. Like, yeah, there's Precious looks great. Yeah. yeah. But it's it's Scotty, no doubt. Yeah. Um yeah, Precious is really good. We should have mentioned Precious a little bit more in the Toronto side. Like he th- the fact that he is as good as he is defensively, he can play the five, and then there's like some latent shooting ability there. Yeah, Precious is really good. Precious is a very impactful player to where you could see them not needing a center long term, like right. a lot of people have kind of stated throughout the process of them building. He he fits well next to Siakam. He fits well yeah. with the type of defensive identity that they want to build. Like they trotted out a couple lineups this postseason where nobody had a wingspan shorter than six ten. Like it, Precious fits that, and then. You know, I'd rather have a guy who has the horses and you got to reel him back a little bit as opposed to develop and try to bring him out. Like there's still some wild and erratic parts of his game, but he can scale it down and figure it out. Yeah, but I think I would go Cleveland. I think that's where I'm at. Uh, Okay, Adam Spinella, tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people where they can subscribe to the Boxing Monk. Yeah, find us on Substack, theboxand1.substack.com, or most realistically, just find me on Twitter at theboxand1 underscore. We post all of our stuff on there. Easy, convenient way to subscribe to find us, anything YouTube, Substack, whatever. Sam, as always, it's great to see you and be here to talk hoops. And I'm actually really excited to do Western Conference next week, too, because this was a blast. This was a blast. This was such a good idea, Adam. You know, I, I do something similar to this every year on the athletic site. I'm not sure I'm going to do it this year just because I, I don't know. It, it's a lot. It's a lot of work, obviously, um, to write as many words as I do there. But it was so fun to just talk about this with you and like think about it as an uh, as a project and, and just think about everything that goes into trying to figure out which of these young cores are the ones that you're going to bet on long-term and uh, get to talk about hope. This is, essentially, these are the hope rankings. And like talking about hope is what's enjoyable to me about the NBA. I like talking about uh, good teams. I like being positive about these players. I like not having to be realistic about them, right? And this is a great opportunity to like, just talk about the players that we like talk about the fun stuff. So um, this was enjoyable. We'll do it again next week with the Western conference until next time though. We will talk soon.